Community Generations Church. I'm Darcy, the lead pastor here, just so you know who I am. Uh, glad to have you here this morning, especially want to give a shout out to those that are watching on the live stream or going to pick up the podcast. Uh, great to have you with us this morning. Uh, pastor Ryan and a bunch of our, our youth leaders are away on their annual youth leadership retreat, and so just want to pray for them this morning that God will just really strengthen and encourage their hearts and fuse them with vision for this, this upcoming year. And uh, it's just kind of exciting to be here on what not only is the first Sunday of a new year, but the part that I really hadn't wrapped my head around was that this is actually the first Sunday of a new decade. Who'd have thunk it? It's, it's 2020. The, the teenage years are over. Maybe that's a good thing, I don't know. But uh, when I was five years old, uh, my family moved from a little town in the Rocky Mountains of Alberta to an even smaller town on the prairies of Manitoba. Melita is one of those places that unless uh, you're from Manitoba and that area of Manitoba, you probably will have a hard time finding it on the map. And so uh, we moved into a little apartment uh, in the basement of the church. Uh, it was called the Parsonage, the, the house where the parson and his family lived. And it actually wasn't such a bad little place um, because the church had a walkout basement and it was on the edge of town. And so we looked out over uh, this big valley with a creek in the bottom of it. We called it a coulee. And the, the town's little golf course was right there. And so we had this lovely view of, of, this, of this valley and this golf course. And, and in the winter, we would go tobogganing on the big hills on the golf course. And, and it was just kind of a, a fun place to grow up because you could play hide and seek in the whole church. I mean, it was just, it was, it was actually kind of fun. But when spring came, and the snow melted, we discovered the best thing ever about our new house. Because before they built the church on that lot, I think it had been a gravel pit. And in the yard below the garden next to the little garage, there was the remains of a huge sand pile. Our new house had the biggest sandbox you've ever seen. Only it didn't even have a box. It was just this, this huge sand pile. And as soon as the snow melted and the ground thawed, uh, dad went out to the garage and, and he got his spade and he went to this area of sand and he began to dig it up and to turn it over and to loosen it up. And then he looked at my brother and me and said, don't dig in the garden, dig here. <laughs> and have fun. And you know what? That's pretty much the best thing that you can say to a five-year-old boy. Go play in the dirt. And so we got our Tonka trucks and our Hot Wheel cars and our shovels and our pails. And, and we spent hours building cities and building roads and building metropolises. We loved that sandbox. And unlike the sandboxes at my friends' houses, our sandbox didn't seem to have a bottom I mean, you could dig all the way to China and we dug and we played and we excavated and we tunneled and we made mountains and we created and recreated new worlds. Now, I know that's kind of a silly little story, but I'm hoping on this first Sunday of 
2020. Uh, this first Sunday of what's not only a new year, but a new decade, but even more importantly than that, the first Sunday of the rest of your life, I'm hoping that that little story will maybe help us think in a fresh way about our lives in our world. Because in a very real way, the, the year that lies before us is like a sandbox that is awaiting our creativity, our imagination, our commitments. And in a very real way, our Heavenly Father has taken the spade to the hard sand of our world and loosened it up and is now looking at you and looking at me and is asking us, what are you going to do? What are you going to build? What are you going to create in the sandbox of your life? And by the way, have fun doing it. We're starting a new series this morning that We've called Make It Count. It's about embracing a life of prayerful possibility. And the verse that's been ringing in my heart and in my ears uh, comes from the letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesian church. And in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17, he says this, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity. In fact, can we say the, the part that's in purple together? Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Now, there's so much that we could pull out of these verses, but the idea I really want to chase this morning is something I think that is easy to miss. In fact, it's something that I think we would sometimes prefer to ignore. And it's the implication that's kind of hidden in the imperative. And it's a serious implication. You see, the imperative of, the, of this verse, the, the instruction or the command is that we need to be careful how we live. We need to live wisely. We need to live intentionally. We need to choose to make the most of every opportunity. In a sense, we need to seize the day. Uh, there's the old Latin phrase, carpe diem, uh, seize the day. And, and uh, I understand that in the... Uh, use of that word, it, it really means, you know, to make the most of the day and, and not think about the future. You know, focus on right now, not think about the future. Uh, today, the cool kids just say YOLO. You know, you only live once. Focus on today, not the future. Uh, that's not really what Paul's talking about here. In fact, we don't focus on today despite the future. We focus on today because of the future. We focus on today because of the reality of a future and the reality of eternity. So there is an uh, imperative in this verse that is very important for us to understand, but there is an implication as well. And the implication hidden in the imperative is as serious as it is sobering. And the implication is that we can actually miss our opportunity. 
we can miss our opportunity. Now we need to fine tune our understanding of what Paul's really saying here, uh, specifically, you know, what does he mean by opportunity? In our culture, opportunity is often just another word for good luck. You know, a, a chance happening, a, a lucky break. You know, you got the, the opportunity card of Monopoly. You know, it's, it's, it's a good thing, right? Opportunity knocks. It's that golden moment of good fortune, being in the right place at the right time. Uh, we were in the right place at the right time on New Year's Day. Wednesday, we were down at the harbor and uh, we were out on the pier and we just happened to be in the, in the right place at the right time to catch what I think is a pretty cool picture. The sun peeking behind the apartment. There was actually some blue sky. It was warm. It was beautiful. In the right place, in the right time and got a great picture. But that's not what Paul's talking about. He's not telling us to, you know, take advantage of the lucky breaks or the good fortune that comes our way. In fact, the word opportunity comes from a very interesting Greek word. And the Greek word is kairos. And it means a decisive moment. And the idea of opportunity or the idea of kairos has two very important aspects. Number one, it is a decisive moment that is divinely ordained. It's a moment that God had something to do with. It, it's, it's a God moment. You see, there's moments and then there's, there's moments, is, isn't there? You know, some moments are simply just the passing of time. You're just kind of sitting there. Tick-tock, tick-tock, and the moments go by. In fact, some of you are sitting there going, yeah, this is a moment. He started, when did he start? How long does he usually preach? About what time are we done? You know, because we're going to go home. We're going to watch some football. Or maybe we've got the World Juniors PVR'd and we're wondering what's happening. I see some of you checking your phones. You know, but we're just, we're just kind of having, having a, a, just kind of an ordinary moment. You know, maybe you're sitting there wondering if the leftover turkey from Christmas still good. Or is it too long? But then there's other moments. Moments that are divinely ordained. Moments where God is at work. Moments where God is doing something. Moments where God is setting something up. When Jesus was born, it was that kind of a moment. Galatians 4, it says, when the right time came, God sent his son. When the right moment came, it was a Kairos moment. God sent his son, born of a woman. And we just came through that Christmas season where we celebrated that specific moment in history when something significant, something special happened. A moment that was divinely ordained by the Lord. And the Bible is full of those kind of moments. And so are our lives. Because it's not just the big moments that are divinely ordained. There's opportunities, there's moments in our lives. Sometimes every day. You know, some of you had a moment last Sunday. Uh, we were talking about fear. Uh, specifically the, the fear of what is to come. 
fear of the future. And several of you came to me after the service and said, wow, you know, I've really been, been wrestling with that. God's been talking to me about that. And, and you know what you said really spoke to me. How did you know that I was going through that? And I'm like, I didn't know, honest. But God did. God did, and, and it wasn't just luck that you were here last Sunday if that was you to hear that. It was, it was, it was a divine moment. It was a God moment. And the truth that we need to understand and embrace is that God is at work in our world and God is at work in our lives, in your life. He's not just this shadowy figure or, or silent partner. He's alive, he's active, he's busy, he's reaching out to you, he's reaching out to others. And so there are these moments that are divinely ordained. But there's a second aspect of the opportunity that Paul is talking about using this word kairos that that we need to understand and that not only is kairos a moment that is divinely ordained, but kairos is a decisive moment that we must boldly grasp. Is divinely ordained, but it must be boldly grasped. Because God's at work in our world, he's at work in our lives, but we also need to respond to what God is doing. We need to boldly grasp. We need to participate in those moments. In fact, if we don't boldly grasp those moments, we can miss those moments. We can miss the opportunities where God wants to work in our lives. We can miss those opportunities where God wants us to do good and to bless others and to see people changed and to see people impacted. We can miss the opportunities to be the people that God's called us to be and to do the work that God has called us to do. Because while God is at work in our lives, we need to boldly grasp those opportunities and become active participants in those moments. Now, when I was in Bible college, and I know we got some of our students still home with us this weekend. <laughs> when I was in college learning how to preach, my, my homiletics prof uh, said several times, don't preach your pet peeves. I'm going to break that rule this morning, just, just so you know, because I have a number of pet peeves. Anybody have a pet peeve? In fact, why don't you just turn to the person beside you and tell them your pet peeve? What's your pet peeve? Some of you are going, yeah, my pet peeve is when the preacher says, turn to the person beside you and say something. Well, I've got a number of pet peeves. Here's, here's one of my pet peeves. People who don't zipper merge. I know, I know, we've talked about this before. We've talked about this before. But we have a tendency in, in, in our Canadian way of driving that if, there is a, if our lane is ending or if there's an obstacle in the lane ahead of us, we all want to squeeze over into the lane that's free flowing as quickly as we can. And if anybody is in the lane beside us going by us, we get extremely upset. That's not right, friends. 
we are supposed to fill both lanes until the place where the lane ends or until the place there is the obstacle. And then we are to merge together like a zipper, one after another. We are to politely let the person in front of us in and then they'll let us in and we'll let them. And that way the traffic just keeps flowing. Everybody stays happy. Nobody gets angry. Traffic doesn't back up. And we all get to our destination sooner. Look it up, people. <laughs> Just Google zipper merge, okay? Okay. Well, here's another one of my pet peeves. One of my pet peeves is when people say, if God wants it to happen, it'll happen. If God wants it to happen, it'll happen. You say, well, why is that a pet peeve? I mean, it sounds spiritual. (laughs) Yeah. But the problem is, is that there is really just enough truth in that statement to make it dangerous. Because yes, there are some things that God has decreed. And there are some things that will happen simply because God is God and God is good and God is powerful and God has a plan and God's going to work his plan. Theologians call this the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. God is in control. And and so, friends, don't misunderstand me. I believe and fully embrace the sovereignty of God. God is all-powerful. God is omniscient. God is in control. The problem is that I think sometimes we make God's sovereignty into something that it's not. It's kind of like in The Princess Bride where Vizini keeps saying, inconceivable. And finally, Inigo Montoya says, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. (laughs) Only the word we wrestle with is not inconceivable. The word we're talking about is what does it mean for God to be sovereign? And I think when some of us use that, that term, the sovereignty of God, we use it in a way that maybe isn't quite what it actually is. We use it and we think that the future and all of God's plans are exhaustively settled. That everything that God wants to happen is going to happen because it is all predetermined. It is all planned. It is all scheduled. God has got his spreadsheet. He's got his Google calendar and it's on there, man. And if it's on there, it's going to happen. Basically, we're just along for the ride. Now, as I said from scripture, we understand that God is sovereign and that there are some things that are predetermined by God. The plan of redemption, the sending of Jesus into our world that we celebrated this morning uh, in our communion moments, the precious lamb of God come as our ransom. 
Yeah, God's taking care of that. Jesus also said that the church shall prevail, that the gates of hell will not overcome it. Jesus also said that he is coming back and that there will come a time when death will be defeated and God will wipe every tear from our eyes. Yeah, friends, there are some things that that God has determined. But there are also innumerable things in our world and in our life that have not been determined and predetermined by God. In fact, there's many things that God would love to see happen that actually may not happen. And some of them are called opportunities. Why does God give us opportunities and not just orders? It's because God respects you. God honors the human beings that he has created us to be. Beings that are created in the image of God. Beings that have a freedom of our own will and a freedom of our mind and and a freedom of choice. And because God has given us that freedom of thought and the freedom of power to choose and, and an imagination and an intention we actually have enormous power and influence over what actually goes on in our lives and what goes on in our world. And that doesn't deny the sovereignty of God. It just maybe tweaks our understanding of what the sovereignty of God's actually all about. One of the podcasts I enjoy is Kerry uh, Newhoff Leadership Podcast. And recently he was in interviewing uh, Pastor John Ortberg. And, you know, if you ever get a chance to read one of John Ortberg's books, I would really recommend it. But uh, they got talking on this, this interview about how physics can inform the way that we think about God and the way we think about theology. Not that we base our theology on science, but sometimes science gives a good illustration or, or a helpful way of understanding reality. So Ortberg mentions Isaac Newton. And in fact, in the first service, I called Isaac Newton, John Newton. And it's like, how did that happen? But then I realized, well, Olivia Newton, John, I, mean, I don't know if that was the association or, or, or what, but it's, it's actually Isaac Newton who was the, the great mathematician, and, and uh, he's the guy that invented gravity. Aren't you glad that Isaac Newton invented, gra- well, he didn't invent it, he discovered it, he defined it. But Ortberg, talking about Isaac Newton, says, in the 17th century Newtonian physics, the universe is like a giant machine. So thinking about God and his sovereignty in a pretty mechanical way kind of made sense. Because everything's cause and effect. You know, God's just kind of put it all together like this big, giant machine. And, and so about the same time that Newton was wrestling with, with all these ideas was also the time period when much of the theology of the Reformation was being formulated. And theologians' a view of God and the theologians' view of God's creation was being influenced by this. And a lot of the understanding of God and how he works uh, is 
actually shaped by our understanding of how God's world works. And their understanding of God's world at that time was very mechanistic. The world is just a big, glorious machine. And God's just kind of pulling all the levers, putting it all together. And basically, if God wants it to happen, he's made it to happen. Well, that was all good until about 100 years ago, a guy by the name of Einstein and a bunch of his friends came along. And Newtonian physics got challenged by something called quantum physics. And science, which again is the study of God's creation, the study of God's world, science got got stood on its ear. And the assumptions of Newtonian science, that the world is solid, Uh, that the world is deterministic and utterly predictable, basically crashed and burned. Now we've got quantum physics, we've got chaos theory, we've got things like you know, Higgs boson and, and Planck's constant and, and all of these things and, and our very mechanistic cause and effect understanding of the world has been replaced by an understanding of creation that is dynamic and flexible and to some extent, the scientists would say, indeterministic. Wow, that's a big word. What do you mean by that? Well, it's not necessarily all cause and effect. Now, with the law of indeterminacy, Ortberg said, reality looks much different. Uh, God's not plotting things out in a mechanical way because creation is not this clockwork machine. It's actually more, maybe a better example would be more like music. And God is actually more of a brilliant jazz artist. And there's improvisation and there's creativity and there's an extemporaneousness about it. I I loved watching the guys play this morning and you could tell that, you know, not every note's written there, man. We're just just playing. And in some ways that's what God is doing in our world. He's just playing. And it's not that he isn't sovereign. It's that his sovereignty is very different from what some of us have understood and assumed. And some of what we thought was set in stone, some of what we thought was predetermined and unchangeable isn't as unchangeable or as predetermined as maybe we thought it was. And here's another thing. In the music that God's making in this world, he's not playing a solo. He's playing a duet or a trio. He really wants to play with you. He wants to play with me. He wants us to hear and respond to the music that he's making. And friends, not only that, but God wants to hear and respond to the music that we're making. And together we can make beautiful music together. But the reality is that God actually wants to play with us. And and like all good jazz, maybe the key of the song is set, but the harmonies and the melodies are open to improvisation. And God wants us to speak into what is happening into our world. God wants us to, to play the music with him. 
So God has not chosen to just act independently and arbitrarily in our world. In fact, in his sovereignty, God has given people like you and people like me tremendous influence over what happens. And the power and the authority that we have to shape our world and to shape our lives is more than most of us can imagine. They're called opportunities. And we are instructed to make the most of them with careful wisdom and understanding. And friends, that's why we can't actually just say, if God wants it to happen, it'll happen. In fact, that is actually probably something that is much closer to fatalism than it is to Christianity. Brother Andrew is a Dutch missionary who became famous for smuggling Bibles across the Iron Curtain in communist Europe at the height of the Cold War. Basically, he would fill his VW with with Bibles and Christian material and drive east. And uh, when he was stopped at the border of a a communist country and, uh, you know, his vehicle would get inspected, he would just pray, Lord, you made seeing or blind eyes see, please make seeing eyes blind. And he would actually even sometimes leave material out on the, on the seat of his vehicle, you know, just because, you know, he really didn't have anything to hide. He was just trying to do what he felt God had called him to do. But Brother Andrew did not buy into the thinking that if God wants it to happen, it'll happen. He understood that if there were to be Bibles in Russia and Bibles in Poland and Bibles in Romania, somebody actually had to get involved and take the Bibles there. In fact, Brother Andrew would call that kind of, you know, if God wants it to happen, it will happen. He would call that kind of thinking Christian fatalism. And fatalism is the idea that everything that happens is predetermined. It's it's inevitable and you can't change it. You can't resist it. It's like the old song, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. Do you remember that one? Some of you seniors. Doris Day, yes. The Man Who Knew Too Much. The movie by Alfred Hitchcock, right, right, right? Okay, too much information. <laughs> but basically, you know, que sera, sera, whatever. You know, we're just supposed to be cheerily fatalistic, you know, keep the smiling and just kind of get on with life. And, and you have to admit that there's a real appeal to that kind of thinking. Because it means I don't have any responsibility for what happens in my life or in my world. And on the surface, that fatalistic attitude can actually seem pretty spiritual. Because we can say, well, I'm just going to trust God to work it out. It's all going to work out. God's got it all under control. If God wants it to happen, it will happen. And if it doesn't happen, I guess God didn't want it to happen. Bless God. But what's hidden there is the thought that I'm really not responsible for anything that happens in my life. I'm really not responsible for anything that happens in my world. 
And friends, if we as followers in Jesus embrace a fatalistic outlook on life like that, frankly, it would make our life a whole lot easier because it wouldn't matter how we live. It wouldn't matter how we spend our time. Wouldn't matter what we do. Wouldn't matter how we spend our money. Our choices, our decisions, our actions ultimately are inconsequential. And you know what? That's okay because God's got it. And if he wants it to happen, it'll happen. And God's got the future all mapped out and all under control. And so there's nothing to see here. There's nothing really to do. But what if it's not quite that simplistic? What if we actually can miss opportunities? Here's what we need to understand. Bad theology usually becomes bad biography. And if we are not thinking correctly about some of these things, the story that we're writing with our lives is going to have some holes. Because, friends, the beliefs that we hold really do make a difference. And if we don't understand that God desires for us to boldly grasp the opportunities that we have before us, then the story of my life and the story of your life will maybe miss what God says could be or what God says should be. So Paul writes to his friends in Ephesus and he says, listen, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in the days that we're living in, the days with, with well, Paul called them evil days, the days with temptations, the, the, the days when, when it's just easier to kind of go hide in the shadows, sit under that, 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 that tree and not get involved. Those kind of days, you need to make the most of every opportunity. Don't act thoughtlessly. Don't just drift through life. But understand what the Lord wants you to do. And friends, the opportunities that you have, they actually could be and unexpected occasion. Something just kind of pops up. Didn't see that coming. That can be an opportunity. But I think our opportunities often look more like the talents and the giftings that we have in our lives. The responsibilities that we have taken on or have been given. The responsibility of family. That Your family is actually an opportunity. Your place of employment, your job, your, your school, where you go, that's, that's actually an opportunity that God has given you. Some of those, those things that you've gotten involved with, maybe, maybe there's uh, something going on here at the church or something going on in, in our community, but, but those actually are opportunities that idea or that dream, that vision that God's put in your mind and put in your heart. Friend, that's actually an opportunity. What are you going to do with it? Don't miss 
the opportunity. Love what Brother Andrew said. He said, we are God's partners and collaborators in writing the story of mankind. And what transpires in the future is not just a foregone conclusion. In fact, a significant portion of it is up to us to decide. In fact, probably far more than we, we understand. We're going to talk a little bit more about this next week when we get talking about prayer and why prayer is so important. One of my favorite quotes is by a man named Walter Wink who said, history belongs to the intercessors. Because we're God's partners and collaborators in writing the story of mankind and our lives. And as followers of Jesus, we need to understand that God has given us the privilege of working with him. God's given us the privilege in shaping how our lives and ultimately how our world will turn out. And we have been given this incredible opportunity to really make a difference. So the question is this. What are you doing with your opportunities? What are you doing with your opportunities? Yeah, they may be divine moments that are presented to us, but friends, we need to boldly grasp them. You know what I found out about opportunities? They're often disguised as hard work. But we need to choose by our actions and our efforts to work with God and his plans and his purposes in our world. We need to choose to create the music with him. In a very real way, God, to change the analogy, God has given us the shovel and the sandbox of our lives and our world and said, hey, what do you want to build with me? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, right now I pray that you would just speak to us about the opportunities that each of us have been given. The opportunities that we have simply because we live in the house that we live in, with the neighbor that we have, or the opportunity that we have because every day we're showing up at that office or in that classroom, or we play on that sports team. God, I pray that you would help us to understand the opportunities that we've been given because of the giftings and the talents that we have. Jesus, I pray that you would help us to grasp them boldly, that we would make the most of every opportunity intentionally, prayerfully, carefully. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year. Let's make the most of it. Let's make it count.